A better name for Easter, though, is perhaps Resurrection Sunday. It's the Sunday we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And, and, and Phil, I had, to, I had to just say keep going because uh, you left us verse 19 in Good Friday. And you left us of all men most to be pitied. But verse 20 says, but Christ has been risen from the dead. And that is what we do rejoice with today. We have read about it, we've sung about it, we've prayed about it, and now we have an opportunity to hear God's Word about it. And here's the question that I want to ask for us today. It's really this. So what difference does it make? I mean, we, we do this every year. We celebrate the resurrection. I have a message really focuses upon the resurrection. We, we think about it uh, a lot. But what does it mean that he, he rose from the dead? I mean, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. How can His life make any difference in my life today? Does it really make a difference? Why, why would we gather here every year and sing and celebrate about the resurrection of a man from the dead? Is it cultural? I mean, there's a lots of things that we have in culture about, about uh, Easter Sunday, right? Let me just prove it. He is risen. Total culture, alright? I mean, it's good. It's a good culture. But I understand there's lots of, lots of culture. Is, is that why we come? Just because it's a thing that we always do? Or is it curiosity? Maybe. Maybe, maybe there's this curiosity. I want to, I want to think about what, what it means that someone risen from the dead... Um, I, I know some people will come to church only on Sunday, this Easter time. And that's okay, but maybe they're just curious, like thinking, well, what, what's the message that church has? Or, or maybe it's mere custom. Maybe we just think about Jesus risen from the dead because it's springtime and, and everybody needs just kind of new life and new encouragement, new hope. Why? Why is it? What difference does it make in our life? Well, today I hope that we have some answers. If you haven't done so already, I invite you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 6. We are find ourselves in Romans chapter 6, deep in the middle of this evangelistic treatise where Paul is describing his gospel, what it is that he believes, with, I believe, a hope to gain support from the Romans for his trip to Spain. And he is here right in the middle, and we are right in the middle of a chapter, right in the middle of a thought, but I just want to take... Four verses and just open them up to you here this morning. Verses 6 through 11. Romans 6, I'm sorry, verses 8 through 11. Romans 6, verses 8 through 11. And Paul writes this, Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death is no longer master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. But the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. You notice in these verses that there are several words that repeat again and again and again and again. They're the words death and life. The word death, dead, or died appears eight times in these four verses. The word life appears, or life, or, or live, or alive appears four times, and you can even add to that raised from the dead. This reason I've entitled my message, Dying and Living, because it really is the two themes that come here in this text. It talks about the death of Jesus. And it talks about the resurrection of Jesus. It talks about our death in Jesus. And it talks about our life with Jesus. And right here is actually where we see the connection from our life and 2,000 years ago, the 
life and death and resurrection of Jesus. Because it made our resurrection possible as well. Well, my message has six points, and I'm going to go through them quickly. Alright? My message today will be shorter than normal, just because I feel like it would be good to do. Just kind of reflect upon the, the resurrection of Christ. Here's my first point. Dying with Christ. Dying with Christ. You see right there in the first half of verse 8, now if we have died with Christ. If we have died with Christ. I want you to think about that. That's a strange thought. We just might read over it and we just kind of got used to Bible language and we don't really wrestle with the difficulties of some of the things that are said there. But how is it that we have died with Christ? I mean, last I checked, you guys are all alive and well. Right? Are you? Ethan, you alive? You alive? Look, he's alive. Tim, I know he's alive. Right? <laughs> I just woke him up. He was sleeping, but he's alive now, okay? You're alive. So how is it that we say, if you have died with Christ? I mean, we're all alive. We're breathing here this morning. What can it possibly mean that we have died? Well, it means that we have believed in Jesus. And we have so believed in Him and so embraced Him and so trusted Him that we have become united with Jesus. United with Him in His death. So much so that when Jesus died, we died. That's what it means. Look what it says. We have died with Christ. We are so much united with Him that when He died, we died. Now listen, this is going to be foreign to our thought. Um, Michael Horton in his new systematic theology wrote something like this. That this concept of solidarity, of how we can be united with somebody else, is so foreign to us as Americans, and yet so crucial to biblical thought. That without it, I don't believe you can understand the Bible. Without it, you can't understand the Gospel of being united with Jesus merely by faith and trust in Him alone. How can this be that we who are alive actually die? It's because we're in solidarity with Jesus. We are united with Him. We're joined with Him. And when you believe in Jesus, there's this very real sense that we have died with Him. So I'm thinking about how can I make this real to you all? And here's, here's something that might help. I mentioned last week about Monday night was the NCAA championship game. Now, this is the only game I watched of March Madness, kind of the whole... The whole several weeks, I've just been swamped and busy. Just haven't watched any. But watched the championship game, and it was probably the worst game probably the whole tournament. You think so, Brian? It was an awful game because Kentucky just got out in front and led the whole way. Kansas made this last-minute surge, um, but they really didn't stand a chance. And so I kind of watched it and kind of whatever. But I want you to, to think about the Kansas cheerleaders. And uh, I think I want you to think about all that they had gone through. They... They had cheered their team on to victory many, many times. They'd lost a handful of times as well. Um, but all the way from November, December, January, February, here it is March, they're still playing, they're still cheering their teams on. And in the tournament, it's been, um, you got to win to keep going. And they won once, and they won twice, and they won three times, and they won four, they won five times, and there's one game away from the national championship. And here these cheerleaders are, are cheering, but alas, they lost. And, you know, I'm not sure if this is true. I mean, I didn't go back and, and watch the, the game. I mean, I don't have it recorded or anything, but everything's online today, so you can find it online. But I, didn't, I would bet that kind of towards the end of the game, uh, one of the cameramen from CBS zoomed in on the face of one of the cheerleaders and saw a tear falling from her eye. If it wasn't one of the cheerleaders, it certainly was a Kansas fan. Just a tear falling from their eye. And, 
You've got to think about this. Why is the cheerleader crying? I mean, the cheerleader didn't, win, didn't lose the game. But why did she shed her tear? It's because she was so united with her team that when the team lost, she lost. In a very real sense, she would have felt the pain as well. They wanted to win the championship, but they just didn't get it. But they felt it so badly. And that's a little bit like what it means for us to die and to be united with Christ. Is to, to be so involved and so engaged and so believing and so trust that when Jesus died, we died right there with Him. Verse 8, if we have died with Christ, we feel the death of Christ in our own souls. But, but that's not the end of the story. Because verse 8 continues with the best part. This is Resurrection Sunday. If we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. That's my second point. Living with Christ. We have dying with Christ and living with Christ. If we are so united with Him in His death, certainly also then when Jesus raised from the dead, we are united with Him in His life. Jesus isn't dead any longer. Or once He was on the cross, once He breathed His last, once He was taken down, once He was laid in the tomb, but He didn't just sit there Death could only hold him but a few days because on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. And when we unite with Him in His death, we also unite with Him in His life. And that is the good news we celebrate this resurrection morning, that we are united with Him in His life. Alright, let's go back to Monday night championship game. I talked about the Kansas cheerleaders. Let's think about the Kentucky cheerleaders. The Wildcats. They had an awesome team this year. Mostly freshmen and sophomore, like one-year wonder. One and done is, I think, what they called them. And uh, just all these guys are going to go in the NBA. Had a, had a great team stacked on that. I don't, the record was maybe like 33-2. and two. Do you know what the record is, Brian? Anyone know? Whatever. Massive wins. Only just a few, boy, one or two or three losses, something like that. And they went through the same tournament, right? They won the first round. They won the second round. They won the third round. And the fourth and the fifth. And they're waiting there the championship game. And lo and behold, they win the game. Handedly. I mean, they, they just dominated because they were such a better team. And when the game's over, shouts of joy and delight, and the, the players are running on each other, you know, and they're hugging each other, and the coaches are, and what are the cheerleaders doing? They're just right there in the fray with all the crowds. And you've got to ask the questions. Did the, did the cheerleaders win the game? They didn't do anything. I mean, maybe a loud cheer helped a little bit of energy to get Something to maybe get us. I mean, I mean, the crowd noise certainly helps, but in the end, they weren't the ones putting the ball in the basket. All right, but why is it that they are so happy? Why is it that they are, are cheering? It's because they are so united with their team that when their team wins and rejoices, they win and rejoice. And any tears that they might have would only be tears of joy, instead, because they share in joy with their team because they are united with them. And it is like our resurrection. Verse 8, if we have died with Him, we believe we shall also live with Him. We will share in the victory. Now, the great thing about Resurrection Sunday, if we use this basketball analogy and continue this, this sports thing uh, going on, is that Jesus won the game. Uh, and it's not like uh, the outcome is in doubt because the game has been played. And I use the, the, the term game there in terms of... Um, Jesus' life and death. It was a battle. Maybe it's a war 
the war is done and it's over and Jesus won the war. All right? But since we're talking about NCAA championship, He won the game. It's not like you've got to hope that He wins so that you're on the winner's side rather than on the Kansas side. No, we are on Kentucky's side. We have won the game. Jesus lived on the earth, buried, but He raised from the dead. That's why we believe in Jesus. It's why we believe in the story of Easter. It's why, why we celebrate the resurrection this morning. is because Jesus has indeed risen from the dead. Listen, church family, the outcome of Jesus isn't in doubt. He already overcame death. And so we can share of that. And you know what? We know that. This is something we know. This is cognitive. Look at verse 9. It says, Knowing that Christ... Having been raised from the dead is never to die again. Death is no longer master over Him. Listen, right? We know our belief and trust in Jesus isn't without knowledge. It's not some vain hope. It's not some fairy tale wish out there that maybe something will to inspire us to live better. No, this is concrete hope. And what what uh, Phil read for us in 1 Corinthians 15 has all to do with the fact that Jesus did rise. Because it goes through this logically. It says, what if, what if Christ didn't rise? Well, if He didn't rise, then we're still dead in our sins. And if He didn't rise, we are, of all men, most to be pitied. But He did rise, and He did do so according to the Scriptures, and He did appear to all these people, to Peter and James and John and Cephas and to me, least of all, as one untimely born. He, he appeared to me, Paul, and then He appeared to some 500 people all at the same time. And, and the idea is, some, He says, some who remain until now. You can go and ask these people, you say, Paul, well, if you'd have lived in the first century, Paul, can you give me some names? He could give me some names of people, names and addresses. And you could have knocked on their door and said, you've seen Jesus alive? And said, yes. And, and who else? And, and you could have, could have formed in some sense some of those 500 people who hadn't died yet, still in that generation, had seen. And we know that Jesus has risen from the dead. And if He's been risen from the dead, as verse 9 says, he is never to die again. Death is no longer master over him. It's interesting here, verse 9, it, death appears three times in this verse. He's raised from the dead, never to die again, yet death is no longer master over him. And yet this verse isn't a sorrowful verse. This is a joyful verse because every single time those words are used, it's that Jesus conquered death. He conquered death. He, he raised from the dead. He's never to die again. He's defeated death. It's kind of a sidelight when you're doing your Bible study. Don't just think the number of words gives you the, the topic of what it is. Because even though death appears so many times here, the, 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 the truth here of verse 9 is conquering. He is, he is winning. He's master. There's no sorrow in this. No defeat in this. Death is no longer master over him. And as 1 Corinthians 15 says that we sang, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is a law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. The victory comes through the death. John Owen, a great Puritan, wrote a book called The Death of Death and the Death of Christ. How many of you read it? Only one guy maybe read it. Darren, have you read it yet? You haven't read it. I've not read it yet either. Okay, it's a tome. In fact, even I was looking at it today trying to maybe get a quote from it. I didn't find anything quite appropriate. But right on the right on the front page of Death of Death in the Death of Christ, John Owen writes, if you're looking for easy uh, material and just joyful, easy, uh, leisurely Christian reading, you might as well stop here because your time is done. <laughs> That's what he said. 
And then it goes on. But the title is worth the book in many ways. The death of death and the death of Christ. Meaning that when Jesus died, He put to death death. He rendered asunder death when Jesus died. It's been defeated there and Jesus won't ever die again is what verse 9 says. Death is no longer master over Him. He has conquered the grave. He has rose victorious. And here's the good news this morning. We join with Him in faith towards Jesus. We join with Him in His death and in His resurrection and in His life. And as He has never died again, we will never die again. Right? Simplest verse of all the Bible. God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but shall have everlasting life. We will not die again because the resurrection of Jesus. We will be Alive forever with Him. Let's move on to my third point. Dying with Christ, living with Christ, and here it is, the death of Christ. In verse 10, we see some details about the death of Jesus. Not necessarily His physical death. It's not necessarily all the the details about the crucifixion, but the spiritual significance of His death. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. See, when Jesus died upon the cross, it wasn't just a a random, senseless, violent act. No, the death of Jesus wasn't without purpose. When Jesus died upon the cross, it was for a purpose. Here it says He died to sin. I think in some sense it's difficult to know exactly what it meant that He died to sin, but certainly it means that He bore the penalty of sin on the cross. He rendered sin abolished and done and obsolete. There's a purpose in what Jesus did. In fact, even it says in 1 Corinthians 15 um, was read, Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. And the death of Christ happened in space, time, and history. Paul is coming afterwards and saying that was exactly what Scriptures prophesied and the Scriptures prophesied and instructed that when He died, He was going to die for sins. Christ died for sins according to the Scriptures. And then He was buried, and then He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures had prophesied. He raised on the third day, and there He was. He rose up from the, from, the, from, the, from the grave on the third day according to the Scriptures with interpretation, and that's what Paul is doing here. He's applying interpretation to the death of Christ, and it says here, He died to sin. Paying the penalty of sin upon the cross. It's greatly explained in chapter 5, verses 6 through 8. Just look back there. It should be on your same page. For while we are still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates His own love toward us and that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is the good news this morning. Is that the death of Jesus wasn't for righteous people. The death of Jesus was for helpless people. You know, and I just tell you, there are so many people who get this wrong. There's so many people who think, I need to clean up my act, and then I'll be right with God. Or people will say, well, I, I need to get things right in my life first, and, and then I'll come to Christ. Or I'll get things right first, and, and then only th- then then I'll come to church and I'll start being serious to God about God. I just I got to clean up myself first, as if God won't accept them until they first cleanse themselves. I say that there's nothing to be further from the truth. That's not the gospel. That's bad news. If you got to clean yourself up before you come, it's bad news. But the good news is this, is that Christ died for us when we were helpless. Christ died for us when we were ungodly. 
Chapter 5, verse 6, Christ died for us when we were sinners. Chapter 5, verse 10, Christ died for us when we were His enemies. And that's when Christ died for us. And that's how we come. We come as helpless, ungodly sinners. As the famous hymn says, just as I am without one plea, but that Thy blood was shed for me. And that Thou bidst me come to Thee, O Lamb of God, I come, I come. I'm just coming just as I am. And that's how we come to Christ. We come just as we are. It's how Christ died for us, just as we were. And we come to Jesus, then the transaction takes place. We come to Christ and then we're cleansed. Right? Our, our sin upon His shoulders and His righteousness imputed to us. And then our life is cleaned up. We are wiped clean. No wrath remaining. Right? For every sin on Him was laid. That's what we sang. In Christ alone. He's the one that took our sin. It's not that we did, did anything. It's God who made Jesus who knew no sin to be sin for us. So we might become the righteousness of God. We become helpless, hopeless, needy, sinners, ungodly. And Christ then gives us His righteousness. That's the Gospel. That's what's being talked about here. That He died to sin once for all. He took the penalty upon Himself for a purpose, to pay the penalty for our sins. And notice the finality of this verse 10. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all. The sacrifice of Christ doesn't need to be repeated. It was done and it was finished. It is over. So, let's go back again to Monday night. If we keep this NCAA basketball thing going. The game is finished. The championship trophy was given to Kentucky and they were crowned champions. They don't have to come back in 2013 to prove themselves again. They are the 2012 champions. And, you never know, Calipari had one championship taken away with Memphis. It could be taken away again. But, they are right now crowned champions. They don't need anything more to do. It is done and it is over. They don't have to play again. And it's similar with Jesus, right? When Jesus died, His death occurred once, never needing to be repeated again. Because Jesus died, here it is, once for all. And that's why when people say, oh, I need to do something. I need to clean myself up first. I need to get right first. And then Jesus will take over. What you're saying though is that Jesus... The death, it wasn't really finished. You've got to do something still. But no, it's all done. It is finished and it is accomplished. It's once for all. In fact, it says in Romans chapter 8, verse 3, that on the cross, Jesus condemns sin. It was almost at that point, He promised His verdict against sin. He says, done away with on the cross. It never needs repeating because His death accomplished our redemption. As he cried on the cross, it's finished. It was done. Don't try to add to it. You try to add anything to it, and you have the gospel. It's once for all. It's done. That's why we look back 2,000 years ago. And that's why his life has implication for us. Well, we've seen the death of Christ. My third point, let's go to the fourth. The life of Christ. <clears throat> but the life that he lives, he lives to God. When Jesus came on this earth, he died to sin, but after being raised from the dead, now he lives to God. So, what does this mean? Well, a couple of things. First, I think it means that Jesus is alive and well today. Death could not keep Him in the grave. The stone was rolled away. Jesus appeared to many alive and well. I told you about this 500 people that He appeared to. Um, 
It's a fact that some people who doubt the resurrection really have to deal with. I mean, there, there are some people who, when Jesus rose from the dead, they, they say, oh, I don't really believe that. Um, or, or then they give some reasons why they don't. And maybe they say, well, it was a hoax. Or they say, Jesus just swooned. He wasn't really dead. Or he said the disciples deceived everybody. One of the biggest things that people say is that I've never seen anybody rise from the dead. Uh, John Stark tweeted this past week. I don't know who John Stark is, but this is a great tweet, which I found on a blog someplace, and you can know everything on the Internet. But here's one thing I knew. He said, You may have never seen people resurrect from the dead, but I've never seen people hallucinate in groups of 500 either. So in other words, those 500 people that were there, it's not that they were all crazy. They saw Jesus risen from the dead. I'm here this morning to tell you that Jesus Christ is alive and well today. Notice something else though about the life of Jesus today. The life that He lives. He does live. That is a reality. But second even here, He lives to God. His life is a Godward life. His death was a, a sinward death. But His life is a Godward life. Now in some sense, I think it's a, it's a Godward life. That's a praying life. We preached through the book of Hebrews a couple years back. One of the major themes there is the, the intercessory role of Jesus. He's the great high priest. And Jesus is able to save forever those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. This is Jesus. He's always praying to make intercession for us who had drawn near to Jesus. He's always praying. First John 2, 1 calls Him our Advocate. Romans 8.26 even alludes to this a little bit, talking about the Spirit, that the Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity is there, that the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Here's the reality of the life of Jesus Christ. He's right now pleading before God the Father on our behalf. He's not some dusty legal book on the shelf that's sitting there someplace that God is, is in heaven kind of thinking, no, wasn't there... Wasn't there something? Where was it? And he doesn't have to pull off this dusty, this dusty book to say, oh, oh, they are righteous because Jesus died for them. No, Jesus is the defense lawyer in his face all the time saying, I died for that one. I died for him. You need to forgive him because I died for him. Jesus is constantly praying, constantly reminding the Father of his sacrifice, his sufficient sacrifice upon the cross. In our case, it's His case. Jesus died in, in our place. Jesus was our substitute. And He continues to bring that fact before His Heavenly Father. He says, remember, my sin, uh, their sin I took. My righteousness I'm given to them. Remember that agreement. It's not like God forgot. But He constantly just brings it up before God. I'm the advocate. God, I am the one. He ever lives to make intercession for. If He is living to God... That's what the second half of verse 10 says. So there's this praying aspect of this. I think also there's this purity aspect of things as well. I think living to God means He's living for God as well. He he is living um, in in harmony with God. He is living in God's ways. He is living to God. It's contrast to verse 10. His dying was in the awfulness of sin. He's alive to the realities of God. Death. To the devastation and dead to the devastation that uh, death brings. 
and alive to the joy of life that God brings. That's Jesus right now. Well, let's just transition now to us. Application, verse 11. Calling it our death. First half of verse 11. Our death. That's where we see some application here. So we see the death of Jesus 2,000 years ago has application on our lives today. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to Jesus, but alive to God in Christ. Consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. And this, by the way, is the first commandment in the book of Romans. Okay, you got to feel the weight of that. First commandment in the book of Romans comes right here. After how many chapters, kids? What chapter are we in again? What chapter are we in again? No, we're not in chapter 8. What chapter are we in? Not in chapter 5. We are in chapter what? We're in chapter 6. Okay, this is 6. All right, let's everyone go like this. We're in chapter 6. All right. All right, we are 265 verses. Is that what you said? No, we're in chapter 6, is where we are. All right. And here, after six chapters, finally it's getting to application. Just ought to help you if the indicatives are so important before the imperatives come. And he spent chapters 1 through 3, two and a half chapters, speaking the, describing our sin. There's none righteous, not even one. There's none who understands. There's none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together become useless. There's none who does good, not even one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And that's all the way chapter 1 through all the way through chapter 3. Midway through chapter 3. And then he takes a turn and he starts then to describe our justification by faith in Jesus. The second half of chapter 3 and then all of chapter 4 and all of chapter 5. He says, we have been justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. And we have been justified by faith. And having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're sinful, but by faith alone we're justified before God. And now in chapter 6, finally he starts talking about, so how do we live? What do we do? talks about our sanctification. It's how we should live. And, and before even he tells us how to live, he first rehashes and, and, and rehearses for us the death and life of Jesus. And then basically he says, listen, you're united with Him, so be united with Him. Right? Really die and really live. Die to the same things He died to and live to the same things that He lived to. In fact, you can see the connection there um, between his, his, his life and ours. Look at verse 10. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Jesus died to sin. We need to die to sin. He's alive to God. We are to live to God as well. That's how, how it compares. We are if you will, united with Jesus in His death and in His life. And so let's look at His death, our death, verse 11. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin. He's saying think. Okay, here's the first key to all sanctification, to all application of the Bible, is to think. First of all, we need to think on Jesus. But second, we need to think ourselves and consider ourselves to be dead to sin. We need to consider ourselves as dead people. Dead to sin, that is. So when sin and temptation comes your way, you need to think about it. And you think about it hard. You need to think that I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to sin. And what that means is that when sin and temptation comes, it doesn't affect me at all because I'm dead to that. It doesn't have anything that can stir within me life because I'm dead to that. And so you need to think, listen, Jesus died for sins like these. 
since I died with Jesus, these are the sorts of sins that I died to as well. I, I can't live in those sins. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? It doesn't make any sense for me to live in those sins. I'm dead to that. And when you think that way, God then will give you strength to overcome so that you can walk in the newness of life and walk in the ways of righteousness. That's how it is. Think yourself, consider yourself to be dead to those things, but also Godward, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Right? And here is just like Jesus was alive to God, so we need to be alive to God. And so I just say, think about it and think hard about it. Think that you are alive with God. Think about at this moment, Jesus lives to God, verse 10. And I too, someday, verse 8, shall live to God as well and be with Him as well. Jesus isn't tempted by these things. I ought not to be tempted by these things because I'm living in the sphere of life. I'm alive to God. I can't live in these sins. I'm alive to God. What does that mean about how I live? I'm alive. And when you think like that, God then will help you overcome sin and conquer and walk in a righteous way. But you've got to see it's the, it's the mystery of the Gospel and sanctification. As you think upon, reflect upon everything that Christ has done and you, you contemplate that, that's when you will live right in light of God. And that's why even the death of Christ 2,000 years ago is so important. So really, what about you? What about you? Are these things a reality in your life? Do you know what verse 11 is talking about? Do you know what it means to be consider yourself dead to sin? Do you know what it means to consider yourself alive to God in Christ Jesus? Have you died? In fact, think about when Jesus talked about coming after Him. He used death terminology. Whoever wants to come after Me must take up His cross and deny Himself and come after Me. He must take up the instrument of death symbolizing dying to Himself. That's what Jesus said. You want to be a believer? You want to follow Me? Die to yourself. So have you died? Have you reached a point in your life where you say, the old Steve Brandon is done and I died? Because we all need to die. We need to die to our sin. But secondly, are you alive? This resurrection morning, are you alive? I saw this uh, documentary online, one of the blogs I follow, and it was, it was an amazing thing. They, they went into this nursing home. They, I don't know who they is. Okay, so somebody went into this nursing home and they, they came upon Henry. And uh, if you've ever been to a nursing home and you've seen some older people experience dementia, okay, this, this Henry was sitting there and kind of had his hands like this and you know, his head down and kind of and his arms were, 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 his fingers were gnarled up like this. And, and uh, the, the nursing assistant came over and said, Hi, Henry, how you doing? And he just kind of grunted. It's kind of all he did. And his, his head was down and he really, his eyes were kind of closed or dark. And, and he was just like this. And then what they did was someone came in and I don't know what you call it, maybe musical therapy, I don't know what it is, but they thought about taking an MP3 player and putting in his ears the songs he likes to hear. And so in the interview, I said, what songs? And, and they didn't really know him enough. Uh, maybe they could have gotten his family to figure out the songs that he knew. Maybe they did. I, I'm not exactly sure. But they, they knew that he was a religious man. And so they put on some, kind of some old religious songs. I, I guess I'm not exactly sure. But, um, but then they put them on. And uh, they, put on, they didn't put earbuds. put on these big these headphones over that. And you could see, right, as they put them on, he, he kind of he woke up. 
and, and, and he had his, head, his head lifted up. And you can see it. I'll send you the link afterwards. You can see this six-minute documentary. And his head lifts up. And he starts, and he starts singing. You couldn't really understand what he's singing, but he starts, and his eyes kind of get up a little bit, and he starts dancing. He starts kind of moving. He's sitting down. I mean, he can barely walk, right? He can't walk, probably. But he's dancing. He's going like this, and and that music really helped to put life in his ears. And then after a while, uh, and I'm not sure how long it is, but but they they took the earphones off, and he was kind of like, what's happening? And then they talked to him. And they say, Henry, um, do you like music? And his eyes, I'm telling you, his eyes got super big and he spoke clearly in his love for his music. So I'm not sure what it is about the ear gate, how it is that you can remember these things from so long ago, but he was, he was like alive. And in fact, uh, the documentary said it was Alive Within is the name of the documentary where he was, he's alive within, but on the outside he's not. You just get some music in there and stir his heart and stir his emotions and stir his passions and, and you could see him and he spoke clearly. Now you can still tell that he was suffering from dementia, but there was something about that music that just, just lit him up. And I guess my question comes to you, are you lit up? Is there something about God's Word that when you hear it, comes in your eye and you just light up? Or is there something about this life that you are no longer a dead person walking in your sin because you're dead to that, but you're alive to God in Christ Jesus? Do you have a love for God? Do you have a passion for God? Are you joined with Jesus? Jesus is the happiest person in the universe right now, along with God the Father. Happiest being in the universe. Do you share in their joy? To be raised from the dead. To understand your sins are gone. Know that you can share that joy as well. You simply need to believe and trust in Christ. Turn from your sins and trust that He'll make you righteous. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I thank You for Your Word this Resurrection Sunday. would pray, O oh Lord, that You would strengthen our souls to know the life of Christ within us. That same power that raised Christ from the dead, seated Him at the right hand of God the Father, is the same power that works in us In fact, it says in Ephesians 2 that we who are dead in our transgressions and sins, God, You, by Your grace, made us alive together with Christ, having raised us from the dead, having seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I pray, O Lord, that we would realize where we are, where we will be because of this event that took place in space, time, and history on this hill outside Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that Jesus was dead and has come to life. And so we too might walk in newness of life. So I pray as we spend the rest of this day, maybe with family, maybe feasting, um, maybe relaxing, stir in our hearts genuine thoughts about the reality of the risen Christ. Keep us away from sin and stir us to righteousness. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.